Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, it is a good day to be alive. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And uh, this is my last shot for a little while. I always enjoy these times when I'm able to be with you. And we're trying to accomplish something um, with with these things. And um, one of the things that we've tried to do is to get some of this material in a series of lessons so that people can have access to it. It's I've done it piecemeal through the years, but um, this is the first time I've been able to go and and spend specific time on the book of Leviticus. And um, this is my last um, lesson at this time on, on, on the series. And so we're going to try to cover two other things um, this, this evening. I, I've always been, uh, not always, but for a, ever since I started trying to to teach people, I've had a great hero by the name of G.T. Haywood. Haywood um, died in the 30s. I personally think he, if he wasn't the best, he was tied for tops of being uh, one of the greatest leaders, pastors, teachers in the 20th century. Um, the Nettos, they're in Utah tonight, but they just attended a funeral. I'm trying to remember where it was, but um, uh, I believe it was Arkansas. And one of their relatives passed away. And so during the eulogy and during the remarks that were made during the funeral, um, one of the family members got up and said that this man that had passed had been baptized by G.T. Haywood back in the 20s, and he received a letter from the pastor, and he said, I want to apologize to you. I baptized you wrong. So I want you to come back, and I'm going to baptize you again in the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I asked them, I said, please get a hold of that family and um, ask them if they'd be willing to sell me that letter. And if they won't sell it to me, would they at least try and would they make a copy of it, if they even have it. But uh, Haywood was an amazing man, and um, there's not a lot left. Of course, this is before recording. Uh, they had those wires, some of those, but the I've never been able to find any type of actual voice recording of his. There are a few pamphlets, and uh, you can still get them from Christ Temple in uh, Indianapolis. But uh, when you read them, you will find that Haywood had a favorite verse, and it was Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. It said, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like unto me, declaring the end from the beginning. Ancient times, things that are not yet done. And, and so I bought into that because I thought that, that made perfect sense to me, that if you want 
to understand the end of things, you have to be a student of the beginning. And I guess it's why I get so angry at people who say the Old Testament isn't relevant today. I, I, I think that's such a foolish concept. But um, Haywood believed that the secret to understanding the Bible were the seven days of creation and the seven feasts of Jehovah in the book of Leviticus. And so um, I've, I've went fast. I didn't even... Uh, come close to scratching the surface of the offerings. Um, I, I've got text from all over the country and uh, other places, uh, especially out of uh, Australia and other places. Uh, people have been very, very kind in their remarks. Um, others have wanted to give me insight and add to things that I wasn't aware of, and I'm very, very grateful for, for their um, just listening to what we've been doing. And um, so tonight, I'm going to try and cover two more things. We've, we've done the—really, the, there are five offerings, but it's really the first seven chapters. But for simplification, I, I just, uh, you know, chapter one, burn offering. Chapter two, meal offering. Chapter three, peace offering. Chapter four, uh, trespass, or sin offering. And then five, trespass offering. And so— um, um, the book of Leviticus is unique in many ways because basically in every other book of the Bible, there are, there are stories, there's, there's dialogue, there are uh, events and details about things that happened. Leviticus is not like that. Leviticus is, is rules, instruction. And um, the, the first five chapters I, I, are so absolutely critical, and I've tried to show you, I believe they are snapshots, uh, just like a diamond has many, many facets, and that's what captures that light and sprays it out with all of those various, you know, rays and angles. These offerings are showing us different aspects of what Jesus did, because one isn't good enough. To, to, to describe everything he's done for us. At the risk of, of being redundant and boring some of you to absolute tears, for the sake of getting this all on one series of lessons, I'll say some things that to some of you are going to sound very, very familiar. My, my walk with these things began some years ago when I was reading the book of Psalms in a, in a devotion, I, I, I try, I, I haven't always been successful, but I try to read the Bible through every year in a different translation. And most of the time, I'll have my, my principal text, my, my King James Bible with me, and I have another uh, translation. And one, the one that year was the Amplified. And I was reading the 89th chapter of Psalms. And this is what it says in the King James Bible in 89 and 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. But when I read it in the Amplified, this is what it said. Blessed happy, 
to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound. And then it says this, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feast. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. When I read that verse, I knew I was on to something because I didn't have any idea what the feast were. And in order to get this, what, what are the spiritual blessings that the feast symbolize? You have to go to Leviticus 23. And when you get to Leviticus 23, it gives what are the seven feasts of Jehovah. And they are in this order. The first one is Passover. And uh, it begins on the 14th day of the first month. That'll be in Leviticus 23 and verse 5. And then in verse 6, on the next day, on the 15th day, is what is known as unleavened bread. The day after that, even though it doesn't specifically say 16th, but in fact, that's what happened. This was a series of events. There are seven feasts here, but you will find they are in, there, there's first a group of three that are back to back, and then there's 50 days, and then there's the fourth festival, which is what we call Pentecost, and then there are three months time, and then there are the last three feasts, Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacles. So you have three, a space of time, the fourth one, a space of time, and the last three, four, five, and six. And the, the, the reasoning is, is so amazing with this, because these, these are farmers. This is an agricultural community. And uh, there's a great verse in Romans chapter 12. It says, this is your reasonable service. And if you have walked with the Lord for any length of time, you will all agree when I tell you the Lord that we serve is not asking for something out of us that's unreasonable. It is reasonable what we're doing because we serve a reasonable God. And so this is what would happen. These people would sow their seed in the spring of the year. I don't want to get too technical, but it's, uh, uh, it'll say in the first month. It won't make sense unless you're a student of Exodus 12. Exodus 12 is the first Passover. It's the one back in Egypt where they slew the lamb and put the blood on the door and the death angel passed. And this is what uh, was told these people. When you get into the land this month, which was actually their fourth month. This month shall be the beginning of months unto you. And uh, it's a great, there's a great lesson there that when, when you start repenting, that's really when things really start to begin. It doesn't matter what month of the year it is, but you can have a, a new beginning. And um, so they come in, you know, coming into Canaan and um, sow your seed. And the seed would germinate and just start to spring up. I, I had a rabbi tell me a very interesting story in Southfield one time. Um, I, I haven't found really any other real references to this, but this is what he told me, that they would take 
a, a, a hoop. They would make a ring of something, branches or whatever, just a, a hoop. And they would throw it indiscriminately on their plowed, sowed field. When the grain germinated and sprung up, they would go into the field and find that ring that they had thrown there, and they would cut whatever was growing in that ring. Then they would take this to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate these three feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. When you go into this thing in Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 5 is Passover. Verse number 6 is unleavened bread. But look what it says in verse 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, and you shall reap the harvest thereof, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Okay? So, you cut this stuff down, you go to Jerusalem. Exodus, very clear. All of the men have to go. But when you study Exodus, it says three times a year, all the men have to appear before the Lord. And so, how do you reconcile the three times in Exodus with the seven feasts that are given in the book of Leviticus 23. It's very easy. You cut this stuff down. You don't have a harvest yet. This is just the green sheaves. It, what, what you're doing is you're thanking God for the harvest that you're about to get. You go to Jerusalem and you celebrate Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. On that time when you're celebrating first fruits, they would take these things and throw them up in the air, thanking God for the harvest that they're going to go back home and have. When first fruits was done, they would go home, and that explains this verse, that in uh, verse 15, chapter 23, you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. That's what it's talking about in verse 11. That's when that offering was given. You shall count from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the, here's important, the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days. And you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And of course, as we showed you, meat offering, meal, grains, and so, it's never called Pentecost in the Old Testament. In, in, in this, verse 16, what we call Pentecost is called the new meat offering. There are other places in the Old Testament, it is referred to as the Feast of Weeks. But Penta, which is a derivative, of course, of five, that's where we get this thing in Acts chapter 2. And so... It makes perfect sense. 
You go to Jerusalem, you celebrate three festivals, you go home. You have your first harvest. After your first harvest is done, which was usually grains, corn, wheat, oats, barley, rye. You had your first harvest. When your first harvest was done, you went back to Jerusalem for the second time. And during the second time, you celebrated feast number four, which is called Pentecost. When Pentecost was done, you went home. You stayed there until what we would call September. During that time, you have what's called the last harvest. There was always two harvests in the year. There was a first harvest, the last harvest. The first was the grains, but the last harvest was two things, olives and grapes, where you get oil and you get wine. Then when you had your last harvest, you went to Jerusalem for the third time. And as these first three are back together, if you spend your time, and I got to go fast here because I got a lot of ground to cover, just here's your homework assignment. You can see that the final three festivals of trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles are all back to back, just like the first three are. So that's how you reconcile. I think it's the 23rd chapter of Exodus, which says you got to go three times. You go one time, celebrate three festivals, go home for 50 days, come back the second time, and, and you'll have festival number four. Go home for three months, come back the third time, celebrate the last three festivals. There's two powerful, powerful things involved here. One is there has to be a historical application for the festivals. Just like we have 4th of July and, and whatever, Thanksgiving and Christmas and other holidays, these were the holy days. They didn't have holidays back then. They had high holy days. These things were done every year, but the reason they were done was for two reasons. Number one was to remind them of what had happened in their past. Number two, it was to keep them on their toes that as they celebrated these feasts, it would keep them looking and aware for Messiah when he showed up. That's why if, if you, the, the verse in Isaiah chapter 1, that you, you, you've possibly heard this, come now, let us reason together, uh, um, though, though you, it's like 1 in 17, I think it's uh, 1 in 18. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Well, here's the question. What was the big sin? And you just got to go right before it. And look at verse number 14. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. This is why God's so angry at them. Because they are celebrating. They just got in the rhythm of celebrating the feast. And they forgot. Why are we doing this? And in the eyes of the Lord, that was a horrible sin. Because look at the historical application. You have Passover where the lamb was slain. Blood was placed on your house. Death angel passed over. 
But how did they eat the Passover lamb? It's in Exodus 12. You don't eat it with your pajamas on. You don't eat it as a, as a, a, a nice little evening meal and then go to bed. When you eat the Passover lamb, your shoes are on your feet. Your pack's on your back. Your, your walking stick, your staff is right there. Why? Because right after midnight, they left. And they went to the Red Sea. And so, what he's, they didn't have time to wait on their bread to rise. If you don't have any leaven, if you don't have any yeast in the dough, it's a, it's a, it's a pita. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a taco shell. Okay, it's a cracker. There, there's, there's no air, it's not fluffy. Okay, so Passover is, what, it, what is his historically commemorating? That night when they slew that lamb. What is unleavened bread commemorating? Because since they went after midnight, it, it's the next day here by their law. And so it's, it, they don't have time. To, to wait on the dough to rise. Why? You got to get to the water. You got an appointment with the Red Sea. What is first fruits? First fruits is their memory of the greatest jailbreak in the history of the world the exit, the exodus out of Egypt. They come through the Red Sea. And that's why when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, I, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know that all of our fathers, all of our ancestors, they had a common experience. 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. That all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea they were, they were baptized under their deliverer. They were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual meat. They all drank the same spiritual drink. This is really cool. They drank of that rock that followed them, which was Christ. Because if you study the story, they came through the Red Sea. And then uh, you're going to find that there were the, the, the wells of Elam. And then you're going to find Moses striking that rock. And that's it. There's no other mention of water in their wilderness journey. Where did they get the water to sustain them? It says there was water that followed them. Water always takes the path of least resistance. Not here. I, I, had, a, I had a wonderful text from a, a, a dear old friend of mine, Paul Lopez, who we were, we, we were classmates together years ago in Texas. And he said to me something powerful. He said, think of the offerings, Harold. The meat offering, which is the meal offering. And then he said something to me that just really hit me hard. He said, where'd they get the grain? They, had, they camped 42 times in 40 years. These people don't have time to plant gardens. Where did they get all of this meal? I can give you a story about a meal barrel that never went empty. I can give you a, here's this water that's following them. 
Listen to me very carefully. The presence of God always contains the provisions of God. Because they had a cloud that was over them. Isn't it cool? The lamb is slain. Blood of that lamb is applied to your life. Now, if I've asked this question over the years more times than I can remember, what is the gospel? If you're dealing with someone that's not familiar with the Bible, most of the time they'll respond, the gospel is the good news. But that's not using Scripture to explain Scripture. Is there a place in the Bible that specifically tells us what the gospel is? Yes. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, where Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Or no, that was Romans 1 and 16. He said... Um, uh, I first of all, I, I, I did what I asked you to do. He said, I, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, wherein you st- obeyed and you stand. And, and, and he said how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. So using Scripture to explain Scripture, what is the gospel? Death burial, resurrection. It's powerful because Romans 1 and 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation. So the salvation message is death, burial, and resurrection. Not simply the fact that it occurred as a historical event, but that we identify with his death through our repentance We identify with his burial through water baptism. We identify with his resurrection through the infilling of the Spirit. And that's that's why Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 10 is so powerful. Because it said every one of our ancestors had a common experience. They were protected by the blood. Then they went through the water. And when they came out of the water, there was this amazing cloud... That wasn't just any regular cumulus cloud. This is a visible manifestation of the presence of God, which would guide them and protect them for the next 40 years. Because that cloud, it says, gave them heat during the cool desert nights and gave them shade during the hot, arid desert days. It's not like, so, so my point is, let's say Renee says, I, 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 I'm not moving this time. Because they, you ever hear that? God is rising. It's in the book of Psalms. They had a group of priests. Their job was to watch that cloud. When that cloud moved, a priest would yell, God is rising. Immediately, Kohathites would go backwards into the holy of place take the veil off, walk backwards, cover the Ark of the Covenant, find those rings in the corner of the Ark of the Covenant, stick those, those rods, those staves, pick that thing up and take off. And you had a certain amount of time to box up your stuff and let's get moving. Because if you didn't stay in pace with that cloud, then the next morning when you woke up, There was no manna there to pick up. The stream that had been watering you with cool, clear water for the last 11 months is now just a parched, dusty stream bed. 
All of a sudden, it's hotter that day than you ever remember it being. And that night, your kids are wondering where the blankets are because they're cold and they haven't been cold before. If you stayed in pace with the presence of God, the presence contained the provisions. And so, look, 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 look. Here's, here's the analogy. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And that theory says you're saved at the point of faith. You're saved at what we would call repentance. Here's the problem with that theory. I do not discount that the blood of the lamb on their house protected them from being killed. However, Pharaoh was going to get over the trauma of losing his son in just a short amount of time. And if those people would have stayed in their blood-covered house, they would have died in that blood-covered house. When the blood begins to be applied to your life, the answer is not to sit there and say, hallelujah, I'm saved. The answer is, get your carcass to the water. When you start repenting, just repent. I don't doubt that repentance feels good. I, I don't doubt that at all. And that's why Bob said angels rejoice when somebody repents, and we should as well. However, the gospel message is not John the Baptist. Repent, 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 repent. If it was just that, we would have never needed Jesus because the message of John the Baptist was enough. It's not enough. You need the blood to be applied to your life in repentance, and then you need to get to the water. And then when you come out of that, the Bible said you should rise to walk in newness of life. That's not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit guiding you, directing you, filling your life. This is huge. And so when you think of the analogy, here's Israel every year celebrating Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Two months later, basically, celebrating Pentecost. Three months later, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle. But, but, Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You've got people screaming and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem that last week. There's a great thing there. You ever heard of Palm Sunday? It said... Some took their coats off. Others didn't have coats. It said they strewed palm branches in the way. Now, here's a cool little fact. Because of the elevation of Jerusalem, palm trees don't grow in Jerusalem. The closest city that palm trees grow is Jericho, which means they brought them from Jericho, which is a great story about always be ready to make a way for him to come in. But what so amazes me is the very same people who are screaming and yelling, Hosanna, you know, blessed is he that's coming in the name of the Lord. These are the very same people that just a couple of days later are saying, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Now think of that. I, I, I got to go really fast here. But, but if, you, if you study Genesis, Galatians chapter 4, Romans chapter 8, we have not received the spirit again of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Abba. Galatians 4 says it, Romans chapter 8 says it. What is Abba? Abba is father, but it's, 
It's, it's a term of endearment. About the best way to translate Abba is daddy, not father. So, have you ever heard of, he said, Matthew chapter 16, who do men say that I the son of man am? Who do you say? Peter said, you're the Christ. What, what did Jesus say to him after that revelation? Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Because the word bar means son of. Okay? So, Barabbas. Bar means son. Abba means father. They chose the wrong son of the father. They should have chose Jesus, not Barabbas. And there's all wonderful analogies like that if you'll take the time to labor in the Word and study this stuff. Because I don't have time to prove it. I've done it in, 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 in Bible studies past. And if you want the notes, I can get them for you later on. But you can prove exactly in the book of Exodus. Fifty days after they came out of Egypt, they came to Sinai. And that's where the law was given. What is Pentecost? I've asked people, when was the first Pentecost? Most of them say Acts chapter 2. No, 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 no. The first Pentecost is Exodus 20. Pentecost is the feast that commemorated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. I'll go through it really fast. God spoke to them. It's always been a pet peeve of me. I, I hate talking to somebody. You ever been Trump with the God card? Hmm? You're trying to reason with someone and they go, uh, I already talked to the boss. You, you're full of beans. God told me. Okay. I just shut my mouth. You've taken me completely out of the picture. Okay. So I, I don't like getting Trump with the God card. I get real nervous when I hear people Every five minutes, say, God told me this, God told me that, God told me this, God told me that. Uh, God said this. I, 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 was, I was with a pastor not, just not terribly long ago, and he had an evangelist. And he said, um, he said uh, I'm going to come pick you up at 530, and, and, and we'll go to church. And the evangelist said, the Lord said 515. He said, I'll be here at 530. And again, the Lord said, 515. He said, well, let me tell you what. I'm going to be here at 530. And um, if you're not not here, I'm going. You and the Lord can stay here. And it's just, just, let me give you an example. Here they are in the book of Exodus. God audibly speaks to these people. Not just Moses. All of them hear God speak. You know what their response was? We don't ever want this to happen again. Moses, you talk to God, we'll talk to you. We ain't talking to God no more. We'll die. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it. He said, when God spoke to me, it was like the marrow in my bones was rotten. All right? John said... I fell on by face like I was dead. I don't doubt God speaks to people, but I'm warning you, don't dumb it down. 
because you're going to get to the point where you're not going to know difference between God talking or whether you had too much pizza. And that's a very dangerous place to be in when you keep blaming God for your lack of consecration. It's, I've never seen anybody do that, and it leads to something deeper. It's usually God spoke to me, so I don't have to do this. It's a cheap substitute for legitimate consecration and submission. You ever read that scripture? You know, uh, 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 um, not wrestle. Uh, the thing, what's the thing about the de- resist the devil and he'll flee from you? That's not how the verse begins. Is it happening again? It says, it says, uh, um, it says, submit yourself, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Uh, um, ladies and gentlemen, the day of the Lone Ranger is over. It's just, you're never going to have things submitted in your life if you are not willing to voluntarily submit yourself. I can't make you submit to me as your pastor. I can, all I can do is live my life in such a way to win your trust and to win your confidence. That's, that's, that's the best I can do. I, 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 I wish I could stick a gun in your ribs and make you go to heaven. I, 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 I wish some people, I, for years, I was talking to a pastor yesterday who was struggling with a horrible marriage situation. And, and, and I, for years, I never had anybody that I married get divorced. For, and I jealously guarded that statistic. And I wanted to end my ministry saying and bragging, nobody I ever married got divorced. Well, I can't say that anymore. You know, and I, I told the pastor, I said, honestly, I, I, I've done so because people are living in adultery. I think living in marriage is better than living in adultery. So I'll marry them if they're living together. But, but sometimes I've done that and the marriage lasted five minutes. I'll be, <laughs> just, I, there's some people in the past I've married, I should have shot them dead right there. Bam! Whew, protected my statistic. They didn't get divorced. Preacher killed them at the altar before they cut the cake. But they didn't get divorced. <laughs> it's, you, please, please, don't trivialize God talking to you. When God talks to you, it'll put you on your face. It'll make you frightened, scared, slap silly. You're in the presence of something holier and cleaner and mightier than we can ever wrap our brain around. And if you've ever had one of these encounters, I'm not talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about another one. I've had a couple, and you may have as well. You know as well as I do, when that happened, you cover your head. People say, why didn't you look? I was terrified. <laughs> So don't just say, God told me this, God told me that, God told me that, God told me that. After a while, I don't believe you. I'll just be honest with you, I don't believe you. Because I, here's Moses, God speaks to him, and he starts building the boat. God don't talk to him for another hundred years or more. One of the greatest men in the Bible. Paul one time said, lay hands suddenly on no man. Be, be, be careful how you do this. And, and, and if we just can dumb this thing down... To where there's no real, you get what I'm saying? Here's my, 
I was raised in a church where if you cut this, you were going to hell. If you wore this too short, you were going to hell. If you did this and went there, you were going to hell. And I, I never did buy into all that. I, I cannot honestly look you in the face and tell you that if you do some of these things, it's going to, you're going to hell. I, 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 don't, I don't have any authority to send people to hell. My job is, 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 is to do my best to bring life to people, not to death. Jesus said, I got the keys to death and hell. I'm going to leave that up to him. All right? That, that, that's just the way. You said, talk about the tares, you know, the, the, the wheat and the tares. said, let the angels figure it out at the, at the end. We got too much of a job to do to bring revival and healing and, and, and wholeness to people. To, to, but don't, you, don't you know saints are going to judge the world? Fine. Then wait on them. But don't go doing that now. Because you get in the Bible, there's, there's only one seat in the tabernacle of Moses. The mercy seat. You, you, you get later on in the New Testament, and there's something known as the judgment seat of Christ. All right. So when I study the Bible, there's two seats. You got the mercy seat. You got the judgment seat. But as near as I can tell, he's not in the judgment seat yet. He's the Lord. I, 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 years ago, met this amazing guy, Avram Bornstein, who, who was Southfield and, and, and strong, great leader in the Jewish community. And he said, OK, Harold, who made man? And I said, okay, Avram, I'll bite. God made man. Nope, not what it says. What, who made, I, I said, I, I don't know. He said, for goodness sakes, you're a pastor. And you don't know who made man? He said, two and seven, quote it. I said, okay. And the Lord God formed, he said, stop. He said, did you get it? And I said, no. He said, okay, do it again. And the Lord God formed, stop. He said, did you get it? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, okay. He said, what is God? I said, Elohim. Right. He said, what does that mean? I said, righteous judgment and justice. He said, good. He said, what is Lord? I said, Adonai. He said, what does that mean? I said, it means mercy. He said, do you get it? I said, no, sir, I don't. He just shook his head. Ugh. He said, don't you understand, Harold? God made the fish and God made the birds and God made the stars. But when God got ready to make man, he knew man would need more than a judge. He knew man would need mercy. So he showed us it's the first compound mention of his name in the Torah. The Lord God formed man because you and I We have access to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have aspect to his mercy. And if you want to read, a, 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 I don't, it's Corinthians 15, that God may be all in all. I, I, I don't have time to explain all that to you. But I'm telling you there's a day when there will be no Lord, when there will be no mercy. He's going to be on the throne. He's going to be God. He's going to be the judge of all the earth. My point is before that day ever comes, take advantage of the mercy of God that is available to us still. Take, 
advantage of the fact that he is not God, but he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> and and, and, and what, what, look, look, look at Exodus. The, the first 19 chapters are all about deliverance, okay? And then 20 through 24 are the rules. And then 25 through 40 is church life. I... I, I struggle as a pastor. I, I, I don't want to add to and I don't want to take it away. I don't want to dumb it down. I don't want to be these liberal guys that just that, that turn grace into disgrace. But I'm, I, I, I have a real problem with Pentecost that is taught for years. You do this, you're going to hell. You don't do this, you're going to hell. I, I feel very strongly about the gospel. But some of this other stuff, I, 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 I want you, I'm convinced that the rules that were given to us in Exodus 20 through 24. We're not given to Israel. Look what it says when Stephen was preaching in Acts chapter 8. He called Israel the church in the wilderness. I've, I've given you that example again and again. They are an Old Testament snapshot of us. Don't tell me obeying all them rules guarantees you get to go into heaven because that bunch didn't get to go to Canaan. The rules are not there to the rules are not there to guarantee you go to heaven. The disciplines, the rules are there to keep you from going back to the world that he delivered you from. Now you just know on that for a while. Because I'm telling you, watch these apostolic churches that get rid of all the disciplines. In just a very short amount of time, you can't tell any difference between them and the very world that God delivered them from years ago. They just named the name of Christ. So be very careful. I've never cut my hair. Yeah, but you need a driver's license for your tongue. I've met a lot of long-haired, unsubmitted women in Pentecost. But their whole virtue is, I never cut this. You missed the whole point. You think you're going to heaven because you never cut that. You'd, what does that mean? People say, Lord, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. I don't know anybody that does more in the name of Jesus than apostolic people. But they're going to be some, some stunned Pentecost. J.T. Pugh told me years ago, he said, there was some UPC before the rapture. And there are going to be some UPC after the rapture. And there are people so stupid say, oh, if I don't make the rapture, I'll be in that second group. Oh, no, you won't, because the Bible said God himself will send you a delusion that you'll believe a lie and be damned. And let me ask you this. Are you willing to have your head cut off? There's only one group of people I know still cutting off heads. Okay? I think we missed it with this Islam thing. There's only a billion of them. I think they're going to figure so prominently in church prophecy. My point is, quit jumping up and down. I, I, I think the things that we do ought to be done out of gratitude because we're supposed to be a witness of what he's done for us. That's what this whole thing is based on. It's not this self-righteous automatic salvation thing that, that if I don't do this, then instantly I get to go to heaven. I didn't talk in tongues for the last 32 years, but I did talk in tongues 32 years ago. And it's like the seal. We have our own brand of Calvinism. Once you're saved, you're always saved. All you got to do is get baptized in Jesus' name, talk in tongues, and, and obey the rules. It's the birth message. It's not the grown-up message. Ah. 
Look at John chapter 3. Jesus told him, you've got to be born again. Everybody preaches that. And then, he, then, he, then, then, he, then, he, then he's very clear. You must be born of water and spirit. Everybody don't preach that. There are people who say, you don't have to be baptized. Even those scriptures that the light figure went to baptism, that thou also save us. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, consequently, isn't baptized is damned. I didn't say that. Jesus did. So just, but, but it, this is, this, to me, this is very, very powerful because we begin to understand I'm not doing this to turn people into some self-righteous bunch of bums. I've met mean Pentecostals in my lifetime. Mean Pentecostals. Baptized a gym, yeah, 52 years ago but have never been renewed in the Holy Ghost. Please, ladies and gentlemen, yes, we're disciples. Yes, there's going to be discipline, but I'm going to be the last guy to tell you, if you do and obey all the rules, it automatically guarantees you get to go into heaven. You've you got to be real careful with that doctrine. It's just stay broken in prayer. If you stay broken in prayer, you, you'll be like Valerie. Years ago, came into my office with a, with a, you know, no laptops, no iPads, but just stenographer's pad. She said, okay, what's the thing about the hair? And I said, we'll, we'll get to that. She said, okay, what about all these dresses? And I'm like, okay, what about, I said, we'll get to that. I said, Valerie, you don't get a shower before you get a bath. I was trying to be wise, you know. We'll get there, and we did. I'll never forget Valerie's answer. She said, you don't get it, Pastor I've lived the last 35 years of my life in the world. I've known divorce. I've known deception. I've known heartache and heartbreak. She said, my mind is made up. This is right. I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to be Pentecost in experience and apostolic in lifestyle. Just tell me what to do. She said, this is nothing compared to the sacrifices I've made before I ever served the Lord. This is nothing compared to the price that I paid for heartache. And, and, and that's, that's the attitude we want. Teach, have a teachable spirit. I got to go fast. Watch. Passover was a historical event fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. Unleavened bread was a historical event fulfilled in the grave of Jesus Christ. First fruits was a historical event that reminded them of their exodus from Egypt. But it's fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his power over the grave. But when you study Acts chapter 1, he showed himself alive by infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. We've got to get 50 days between first fruits and Pentecost. So he told them to stay, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued from power with power from on high. How long did they do it? Has to be 10 days. Why? Because Acts 2 and 1 says when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And so 50 days after, in the Old Testament, 50 days after they came out of Egypt, they came to Sinai where the law was given. God spoke to them. God inscribed his law on tablets of stone. There was wind. There was fire. 3,000 people died at Sinai. So you get in the New Testament. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty 
wind. Hebrews calls it a tempest. Acts 2 calls it wind. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like a, we got to have wind, we got to have fire. We've got that in Acts chapter 2. But we got something better now. God doesn't speak to them, God speaks through them. And in the Old Testament, he inscribed his law on tablets of stone. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3 said he has written his law on the fleshly tablets of our heart. And just as 3,000 people died in the Old Testament at the first Pentecost, then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and that same day they were added 3,000. It's there again and again and again. It dovetails and it meshes perfectly. I don't have time to get into trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle, but let me give you something that really intrigues me. Jesus died on the day they celebrated Passover. Jesus was in the grave on the day they celebrated unleavened bread. Jesus resurrected from the grave on the day they celebrated first fruits. The Holy Ghost was poured out on the very day they celebrated the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. The next major event coming is the trumpet. He's honored the first four on the very day the Jews celebrated that festival. I got a one in four chance of being right. I think he's coming in the fall. If I had to make my choice, I'd say he's coming in September. No man knows the day or the hour, doesn't say he can't know the month. I could be wrong. I personally believe he's going to honor the Feast of Trumpets. After that, there's atonement or at one with him, and we're tabernacling with him forever. There's so much as, oh, it opens up your spirit. You're going, oh, and it starts making this. It's what Haywood knew. It makes it make sense. I got just enough time to say this and to get this on this recording. The Feast of Jubilee is so, this is Leviticus 25. These are farmers. When the land was parceled out in the book of Joshua, it is so important. Even to this day, that real estate is so important. God knew that every now and then, someone was going to make a bad decision and lose the family farm. But you had the promise of once, maybe twice, but at least once in your lifetime, you were going to have you were going to have access to something called Jubilee. Jubilee is Leviticus 25, where they got their land back. And it says every day. It's like if you lost your farm on, on December the 29th, 23 years ago, and it was a Jubilee year on the 29th of December, you got, so do you see what I'm saying? It, was, it, was, it wasn't a day. It was a whole year of celebration because every day of the year, at least one and probably multiple families were getting what they lost back. I tried to teach you Sunday about God being a restorer. This is a perfect example of that. And so, here, watch. Here's Isaiah. All right. Uh, 60, 61. Thanks for listening. 
It's Bible class, so I'm not running a hundred. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, he anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, captives open the prison and the bound. Watch verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, you go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is the first public sermon of Jesus Christ. And what happens, baptized by John, goes in the wilderness. Bible said he comes out in the power of the Spirit, as his custom was in Luke 4. He went to Nazareth, and he went to the synagogue. There was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah, or he went to Nazareth, rather. And verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah. And when he found the place, here's verse number 18, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's the same thing. And Look at verse 19. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closes it. Gives it back to the rabbi. And then he says this. This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What he was saying was, you're never going to have to wait 50 years again to get stuff back. I'm Jubilee. I'm going to take your bruise away. I'm going to take your embarrassment away. I'm going to give you back what you lost. You don't have to wait half a century ever again. You can have it now. And I can give you verse after verse after verse after verse. And those are just three of the great subject texts of the book of Leviticus. The offerings, the feast, jubilee. There's, I wish, there's a, there's a thing in here. It's, this is where you're going to find the law of the leper. It, it, you, you ever, remember in Matthew? Remember in Matthew when Jesus healed the leper and he said, go to the priest and tell the priest to offer the gift that Moses commanded. You've got to realize, no, nobody, no rabbi's ever done this, ever. This guy walks into the church house. Senior pastor is thoroughly bent out of shape and going to stone this dude dead. I say it's going to rock him to sleep, but it's big rocks, okay? And, and, and all of a sudden, he said, what in the world are you doing in here? And that guy said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." you know, looky here. Where'd you get that at? Jesus. You mean the fake from Nazareth? All I know and you know is I was dying of leprosy, but I've been healed and made whole. And he's got a message that he sent me to tell you. Really? What is that? He said, you're supposed to offer the gift that Moses commanded. What's that? I don't know. You're the preacher. Go get your Bible school notes out. And you've got to go back. No priest. Naaman's a Syrian. He's not a Jew. This is the first Jew that's ever been healed of leprosy. You go into Leviticus, mm, two birds, you get a pot, you got to get a stream, you got to get a red piece of cord, you got to get some medicinal herb called hyssop. Hmm. Let's see, you have a friend hold the clay jar over the running water, you twist the neck off of the dead one bird, catch the blood of the dead bird in the pot, get the hyssop and, and stir it through that, take the red cord, tie it onto the leg of the living bird and let it go. I mean, you're out hunting, man. You're out deer hunting. And you're in your tree stand. And you've been sitting there for hours, as all of us have been. And all of a sudden, and landing on the limb beside of you is this bird. 
with this red string and this thing hanging on it. You're going, what is that? I wish I had time to show you the analogy that the birds had to be identical. One had to die. One had to be covered with the blood and lived. When Jesus came, he came looking like us. He was man. He was identical to us, but he was willing to shed his blood. <laughs> that scarlet cord. Read what it talks about, that, that harlot, Rahab, back in Jericho. It doesn't say purple. It doesn't say get a scarlet cord and hang the scarlet cord out of your window. And when we see that, we're going to know that's the place of the people. That I could go, you read the priest's garment and read about the word scarlet. Lo, your sins be as scarlet. You, I, I did a lot of work on this years ago. When you dyed something, you couldn't get the color scarlet one time. You had to dip it, let it dry, and dip it two times. Only a double dye process produced this brilliant ochre, this brilliant red called scarlet. Your sins aren't called red. They're called scarlet. Why? Because we're a double dyed sinner. And I'll prove it to you. I never taught my kids how to cuss, but they all did. I never caught my kids how to lie, but they all did. Why? There's a nature. They've already been dipped in someone else's sin by the time they show up. Then you add all the stuff we do on top of that sinful nature that we were given at birth. And our sins are as scarlet. It's impossible to get scarlet white again. But though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them like snow. If anybody ought to know snow, it ought to be Michigan. I woke up this morning and everything was beautiful, man. I, all the mud was gone and all I saw was white. That's the power of Leviticus and the law of the leper. That the Lord can take this blood of his and apply it to our lives and turn the mud into something amazing. Stan, Stan, you've been listening to me chatter on long enough. All you precious people watching and listening online, would you partner with us this coming year? Would you partner with us? Send us some money. We've been trying to bless you, and I hope you get some good out of this. But we got missionaries to support. I got a, a wonderful less, uh, uh, text from a missionary today on their way back to a country that I'm not even allowed to mention the country or the missionary's name. I'm asking you to partner with us and help us. You're sitting in your house, and I understand we're doing the best we can to study and pray and produce messages and good material to encourage you and to lift you up. I'm asking you to partner with us this year and help Help us do something deeper and something greater and impact the kingdom for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, I thank you today for your word. All the way from the front cover to the back. I thank you, God, for everything from Genesis to Revelation. That all of it was given by you. And it is good for correction when we need instruction, when we need it. That you can get us straight and keep us straight. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, that you would guide and direct us. And if nothing else, I trust these lessons have put a fresh 
desire and appreciation for places in your word that have been avoided and ignored and people have marginalized it and thought it is of little consequence. But the truth is you declared the end from the beginning and we're going to be better students of the beginning so that we can be better understanding of the end. We are living not in the end of time, but we're living in the end of an age. We realize, Lord, the season, summer's over. Amen. The harvest has ended. We got to get saved now. I don't have much time left. I'm asking you, Lord, right now that you would guide our steps and let there be a fresh hunger, desire, and appreciation for your word. Amen. Because that's going to set us free. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we call it done. Amen. 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 Amen.